Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. That actually means that we're we're 20 chapters in, right? We finished 20 of the chapters of 50. We're two-fifths of the way. That's right, 40% of the way through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. And we're only going to be looking at a few verses today, God willing, of course, but uh, verses 1 through 7 is what I've kind of got on the menu for for what we're going to be looking at today. And somewhat by way of introduction into these verses here, we've been looking for 25 years for the fulfillment of a promise, all right? We've been looking for uh, nine full chapters For the fulfillment of a promise. Going back to Genesis chapter 12. The original call of God upon Abraham. At that time Abram. To leave his country. And to go uh, to a land that God would show him. And in those verses. In verse 3. God has a promise that he says. In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And in that promise is implied. That there's going to be descendants. To come from him. And then as time moves on, as we go through the chapters, we end up finding there's an obstacle to the promise, and that is the barrenness of Sarah. She can't have children. And so there's this scheme that's concocted between Abraham and Sarah that, hey, maybe God didn't have me in mind, is kind of what Sarah's idea might have been. And, And I'm supposed to be providing children for you, and I'm not doing that. I'm not able to do that. God's withheld from me the ability to do that. And so they come up with this idea that, well, let's take one of the servants, as was the custom of the day. You were, you were okay to do that. And they took Hagar, and she ends up bearing a child, Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not the one I was talking about. So there's been this promise of children, this promise of descendants all along. And it gets more and more specific as time goes on until we even get to the point where God picks the name for the child and says, it's going to be through your son that you're going to have through this woman, through Sarah, and he's going to be named Isaac. So it's been building all through the reading, right? We're getting ready for a fulfillment of this promise, and you're expecting that when it's going to happen, it's going to be this huge you know, celebration. And we're going to look at it today, and it's really kind of understated. It's really just kind of a little tiny passage here of just seven verses, the birth of Isaac. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Somebody might read in verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. So basically, you have it, the nucleus of these seven verses you find there in verses 1 and 2. Here's the birth. That's about all you get. You get a little bit of fanfare in the next couple of verses that we'll be looking at. But uh, looking at these verses in particular, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah. NIV has the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The New Living Translation has the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. This is the buildup. We've had 25 years of buildup. It was, he was 75 years old. He's 100 years old now. All right. Sarah's 90 years old. She was 65 at the time. All right. So it's been a long time in this buildup. And here they are having the children uh, now in this passage at 190 years old. 
the word that's used there, the Hebrew word that's used there and translated visited or was gracious to or kept as word, uh, the Lord visited Sarah, the Lord was gracious to Sarah. That same word is actually used in another place where it's in the story of Hannah, where she was barren, another barren woman. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore children. All right. And then we also have the Lord visiting Elizabeth, New Testament reference over there in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, the Lord visiting Elizabeth, and she's able to conceive and have a child later to be known as John the Baptist. All right. So this Lord visiting is not an accident in choosing that word for that. There's also, it's interesting here too, I ran across a Jewish tradition that well, I should read this. With its heavy emphasis on God's fulfillment of his promise of a son to Sarah and Abraham, this passage marks a major turning point in the story. This is from the Jewish Study Bible Notes. A Midrash reports that it was on Rosh Hashanah that the Lord took note of Sarah, and it is thus the Torah reading for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah, all right? This strikes me. It reads, at the very time God had promised him. Does somebody else have something different? Yeah, it's, that's going to appear in all these translations out here in one form or another. It's at the exact time. The exact time that it was promised. It wasn't 25 years before that God said, you know what, you're going to have a kid and we'll, we'll make it next year. Oop, we missed. Oh, it's going to be next year. Oh, you know what, hang on. Maybe in three years. Maybe in five years. Maybe some undisclosed time. It's the, the exact time. Where's that promise? If you go to Genesis chapter 18. Go to Genesis, I'm sorry, go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. Somebody might reading that. We're going to look at some of these promises, all right, the reiterations of the promises. Genesis 17, 15, somebody might reading that. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, king of peoples who will come from her. Excellent, thank you. And then verse 19, somebody might reading that one. Then God said, your wife, Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. Excellent, thank you. And that's actually the first appearance of the name, God giving them the name that the son's going to be called, which is Isaac. How about verse 21? Somebody might read it there. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear you this season next year. Wait, when? When is that going to be? This season. So there we have the reference to the time thing. Go to chapter 18 now. Go to 18, look at verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Somebody mind reading verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Excellent. And jump down to verse 14. Somebody mind reading that one. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So here you have in these references allusions to the son that's going to be born. Then you have the naming of the son is going to be Isaac. And then you have the time element added onto it, that it's going to be this time next year. And you have that time element show up in three different places. This is why this son is called the son of promise. All right. This is the promise to son. All right. It wasn't Ishmael. As we're going through, this is the son that God had promised them all along. So this is the son of promise. In fact, if you turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 9... Going to the New Testament now, of course. Romans chapter 9, verse 9. This is Paul speaking. Somebody mind reading chapter 9, verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Excellent. Thank you, Chuck. So here we have this reference again to the time element of it. 
And so that time element, all the way back in Genesis, Paul takes that same, that same concept, that same idea, and he plugs it into this discussion that he's having here over in Romans chapter 9, and he ends up declaring, this is the promise, right? We're looking at the promise. What's the promise? It's the promise of the son, the promise of the son, which is Isaac, not Ishmael, the promise of the son through Sarah, not through Hagar, all right? At this time next year, I will come and you will have a son. And speaking of Isaac as the son of promise, turn to Galatians. Now that you're in the New Testament, just turn a little bit further. Galatians chapter 4, speaking of the son of promise, and we're thinking of Isaac, we're going to see something a little different. Paul's going to take it even one step further than that. Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Galatians 4, 28. Somebody mind reading that? Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So if Isaac is a son of promise, here Paul is taking that idea of Isaac being a son of promise and him being a type. Him being a type of what? Of us. He's saying in 428, as Isaac was, so are we, children of promise. That's weird. Paul takes that concept and he makes it apply to something else. He also makes it apply even further, and we'll look at that in a little bit as we get going through the study. Go uh, back to Genesis then, chapter 21, which is where we're at, verse 3 now. Genesis 21, verse 3. Somebody mind reading that? Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Excellent, thank you. So who names the son? Kind of a trick question there. Abraham. <laughs> Abraham names the son. According to this verse, we have Abraham declaring the name of the son or, or attributing to him the name of Isaac. But who originally picked the name? Right. God had already told him what the name was going to be, right? <coughs> Has Abraham named anybody before this that we know about? Ishmael. Ishmael, right. And who chose that name, though? Was that Abraham chose that name? No. That was God as well. So when God was speaking to Hagar in that situation, he said, this is the name you're going to choose for your son. And then you'll remember Abraham attributed or gave that name to his son in obedience to God. Here we have God choosing the name of Isaac and saying, this is what you're going to name your son. And Abraham, being obedient, gives him the name of Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Anybody know? Laughter. What does that have to do with anything we've read about so far? Do <laughs> you remember Sarah? She was behind the tent flap. Am I going to really have a kid at that age? Come on, this is so ridiculous. Remember that? And there was that whole discussion where she was confronted about that. What? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Me laughing? I don't know what you're talking about. And they named the kid Laughter. All right. Do you remember? Even before that, Abraham laughed as well. Abraham laughed when he was at 99 years old and God had promised that he would have a son through Sarah. And he's like, really, am I going to have a son when I'm 100? And Sarah, when she's 90. And he laughed as well. So here God choosing the name for the son as kind of like a perpetual rub on them of a sort, right? To show them, you didn't believe me. You laugh, and now you're going to be laughing in a different sort, right? You were laughing in mockery then, but now you're going to be Sarah laughing even in lied about her laughter. Say that again? Sarah even lied about her laughter. Yeah, she even she lied about her laughter. But you did laugh. You're exactly right, yeah. So that episode of their unbelief is now translated into joy, all right? In our lives, isn't that the same? We come from a period of unbelief, right? And we transition over, hopefully we make that transition over into a period of belief and a period of joy and a period of obedience. They lived at a time where the news was unbelievable. It was ridiculous. They didn't want to believe it. How could you? And they transitioned over into a time where there's belief, where there's joy, all right? And now we're seeing that happening in their situation, and hopefully we see that in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love. That they transition from a time without God, a transition from a time of unbelief over to a time of believing God and obedience to God. So Abraham, in obedience, he's naming his son Isaac, just as God told him to do. 
this is actually, like I said, the second time that uh, Abraham ends up naming anybody. There's Ishmael and there's Isaac. But there's something that's interesting in this passage. This passage is a formula. You will often see a formula where so-and-so named his son this. All right? That's the formula. So-and-so named his son this. What's the deviation from that formula in this verse? And you can even see it in the English, knowing that's the formula. What is the deviation or what's the addition to it? Whom Sarah bore to him. him. That's not part of the formula. You don't need to put that in there because the formula doesn't require it. It's included on top of what the formula is. Why is that doing that? Because it's it's making that point emphasized. It's making that point especially jump out at you. So if you know the formula and you go into it and you see it and then that jumps out at you, it brings emphasis to that point that this is Sarah's son. This is not Hagar's son. Sarah's son is Isaac. So it's Isaac that this is going to be about. It's not going to be about Hagar's son, Ishmael. Okay? Uh, one other thing about this is the son's named Isaac. The son is named Laughter, but the subject is not identified. Victor P. Hamilton says, who laughs? God, Abraham, or Isaac? It's not clear, right? I, I suppose you could see God doing a little bit of laughing, right? Oh, really? You're going to laugh behind the tent flap? Oh, really, you're going to laugh because you don't believe me? Okay, then let's name your son Laughter. God could have a little chuckle with that. I think God has a sense of humor. I mean, we're made in the image of God. We have a sense of humor. Where did our sense of humor come from? It's got to come from the Creator. I think God's got a sense of humor. I I can see him doing that. Okay, we're going to name him Laughter then. Could be the father laughs. The father laughs in joy. The mom laughs in joy. Isaac laughs, perhaps. We'll see later. All right? Moving on to verse 4. Somebody mind reading verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Mm, as God had commanded him. Do you guys remember where that command was? That was over in Genesis 17. Go to Genesis 17, verse 12. Genesis 17, the whole chapter pretty much is about the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant being what? Do you guys remember? Circumcision, circumcision right. And we had that awkward study on circumcision that one particular day. The sign of the covenant being circumcision over there in that chapter, verse 12. Somebody might reading verse 12 of chapter 17. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Excellent. Good job, Bianca. So here we had over there in Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, the command given by God to Abraham to circumcise his children, to circumcise everybody in his household. On what day? The eighth day, right? So eight days after being born, or the eighth day. So here we have in verse 4, Genesis 21, verse 4, he's circumcising or has circumcised Isaac on the eighth day. When was... Ishmael circumcised. Was it on the eighth day? No, he was, he was quite a bit older than that. He was 13 years old at the time. This is the first fulfilling of that obligation, the first obedience to that command that we see in Scripture. The first person to be circumcised on the eighth day is Isaac. So we have the sign of circumcision, especially important now that it's being conducted on the son of promise, as we're seeing here. God following through. And you remember in that study that we had regarding circumcision, you found out that the eighth day actually has medical benefits that we've only found out relatively recently. Mm-hmm. There's an elevation of vitamin K, and, and that leads to an elevation of prothrombin. All right, And those two things make it especially a medically beneficial day to choose the eighth day. Could God have known that in advance? I suppose he would. You know, I suppose he could figure that out. He's the creator of all of us. That's not surprising. But it's just really pretty neat to run across something like that. Verse 5, somebody mind reading verse 5. Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. Do you remember what it said about Abraham over in Hebrews 11, verse 2? That he was as good as dead. <laughs> All right. When he has this son, 
He's described as physically as good as dead. Genesis 25, verse 7. Somebody am I reading Genesis 25, verse 7? This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. So 175 years. How many chunks of 25 years is 175? Seven. Seven. So you've got 25, 25, 25, 25, 25, 25. How many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Right? Would you say, yeah, I agree. That's what the scripture seems to suggest. He lived this many chunks of 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. How old was he when he was called by God? How old was he? 75. He was 75 when he was called by God. How old was he when he had Isaac? A hundred, which is 25 more years, right? So here he is. He's called by God. Here he is. He has Isaac. And then here he is at the end of his life. This 25-year period that takes nine, nine <coughs> chapters so far, and we're not done looking at Isaac's life by any stretch of the imagination, but from the time that Isaac was promised, and it gets more and more specific as the time goes on, and then finally Isaac's born, 25-year period. You look at scripture, man, that seemed like it was a hard deal. That was a hard road to go through for them. That was a hard 25 years. But if you look at it, that's only the middle 25-year period of seven different 25-year periods. All right? God's call was here. He's, you know, he's still got 75 here. Sometimes we look at a chapter of our life, right? And we go, man, that was a really hard chapter. Or maybe you're in the middle of a really hard chapter. And you think, how am I ever going to see the end of this? And we look at this. As he was as good as dead. They were ready to count him off here, right? And they were like, it can't happen. It, you know, I'm beyond God being able to do anything in my life. And they were only in the middle. They were only halfway. They were right here. Maybe in our lives, you're only in the middle. And you're thinking, God's done with me. You're only in the middle, and you're thinking, I'm as good as dead. <laughs> But maybe what God intends to do for you and through you is a lot more to come. Now, it doesn't have to be years, because you might be doing math right now in your life, and you're thinking, no, I'm well over halfway. I'm well over halfway, because if you take my age and you double it, nobody lives to be that long. You might be thinking that, right? But it doesn't have to be years. It can be growth, right? You know in the parables where Jesus is, is talking about good seed and being cast out and produce that can come from that, right? When you plant seed... It's not until the harvest, right, when you see all that growth. Maybe in our lives, we're something similar to that. If we're good soil, you almost wouldn't expect to see the good harvest until the end, right? And so if you're ready to say, oh, I'm well over halfway. I'm, I'm, I'm as good as, I'll, I'll join up with that group that says as good as dead. God can't do anything. with. Maybe your harvest is just starting to peek through the ground. Maybe God intends to do something greater in your life than he's ever done before. And you're thinking, there's not enough time. Yeah, it is. If it's the harvest time, it's going to start coming up in spades. Right. Maybe I'm mixing my metaphors there in spades. All right. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, maybe you're in a hard time right now, but don't let that discourage you. Don't let that slow you down. Don't be thinking, oh, God's done with me or I can retire. Did you know retirement isn't a concept that we get from the Bible? We look at, we're conditioned in our work life, right? We're looking forward to a day where we're like, oh, at that time I'll be done. Right? And I could just kick back and take it easy. No, that's not what God's Word teaches. That's not what he calls us for. He doesn't call us to the lazy boy. All right, He calls us to produce fruit. And maybe we're entering into a season where the fruit's going to start to be produced. All right? All right, that wasn't even in my notes. So we got to get back to where we were. Or else I'm never going to finish quite on time. All right, going back. Genesis chapter 21, verse 6. Somebody mind reading verse 6. 
And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Excellent. Thank you. Here we have Abraham's doubting laughter was transformed into obedient faith. Sarah's doubting laughter transformed into joyous faith, according to Kenneth Matthews regarding this passage here. And you have something that's kind of interesting that shows up here. See that those words in English where it says all who hear, or everyone who hears, some phrase that's something similar to that? That's kind of a jab on Ishmael's name. Ishmael is what? God hears me. Right? Without the L, it's God hears. Here it's Ishmael. It's missing the L part, but it's got his name in there. It's it's a connection with Ishmael's name. You're going, what does that make sense of anything? Perhaps the author is intending to put it in this way and, and using the words that are on Sarah's lips to say, Hagar and Ishmael, celebrate with me. Everyone who hears would include you guys too. We'll find out that they don't celebrate with them. They'll mock, they'll play on Isaac's name later on in the next study that we'll do. All right, moving on. Here they're laughing and their laughter is in joy, right? Sarah especially, her laughter's in joy. Matthew Henry points out something that sometimes in our lives we're confronted with the realization that there was a time where we didn't believe, where we laughed in mockery. And when God follows through on his promise, sometimes we just dismiss it. Oh, no big deal. When, in fact, we should be humbled by it and amazed by it and in awe and also challenged to recognize we need to trust him for the future, right? If he shows by pattern that he fulfills his promises, then when we find ourselves in the midst of the hard time of waiting for that next promise, we should trust God. He's shown himself faithful. He's shown himself 100% trustworthy. Is he going to now let the ball drop in your life? Is he now going to go, oops, I had it all going so well all through history, and with you I made a mistake and I dropped the ball? No! God can be trusted. If he's shown himself trustworthy, that should encourage us to trust. Yet, what do we do? Oh, in my life there's an exception, and so therefore I get to worry. In my life there's an exception, so I get to live in fear. No, that's not what it teaches. It's in my life I get to benefit from what I've seen all these past people recognize and see God follows through on his promises. God follows through on his promises. Verse 7, somebody might read that. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would, have, would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Thank you, Freddie. And so with that, we conclude the seven verses of Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is the birth of Isaac here. What is the promise we've just discussed that was fulfilled here? What was the promise? Isaac was born. Isaac was born. God had promised, and he followed through at his timing, right? Not ours. Through Sarah, just as he promised, God follows through on his promises. This is one of the many promises found in the Bible. God keeps his promises. What I want to do now is I want to challenge everybody here for a second. This is going to be kind of a responsive thing. Every time I say that this is one of the many promises of God found in the Bible, I want you to respond with me and say, God keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. What I've got now is a list of promises. And I want to look through them and just read them out loud. And I'm going to say this is one of the many promises God found in the Bible. And you're to say, God keeps his promises, but we're not going to stop at that. Then I'm going to say, do you believe it? And you say, yes, we do. If you do. If you do believe it, say, yes, we do. I don't want you to lie, so if you don't believe it, don't say it. All right? So uh, one of the things I want to show you, though, is kind of where we started with this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, there was the promise that was given to Abraham that hasn't yet been fulfilled at this time. And that was, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
It hasn't happened yet, right? From what we've come through. So far, so good. We haven't seen that happen. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's a promise given by God. And it's also reiterated in some other places and given more detailed information. One of those is in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Classic Christmas passage here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is one of the many promises of God found in the Bible. And you would say, God, God keeps his promises. promises. Right? Do you believe it? Yes, yes, I do. yes we do. Yes, we do. Another place, Isaiah seven fourteen. Again, kind of a Christmas-sounding passage here. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is one of the many promises of God found in the Bible. God keeps his promises. Keep promises. Do you believe it? Yes. These have their fulfillment in Christ, in the birth of Christ. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, or Galatians 3, verses 8 through 16, you find that these are fulfilled. Those Old Testament promises there end up finding their fulfillment in Christ, their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And then Christ comes along, and what ends up happening? More promises. Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is one of the many promises of God. God. Do you believe it? Yes, how about Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is one of the many promises of God. Do you believe it? How about Proverbs one thirty one? But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. This is Jesus speaking, of course. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe his promise? How about John 14, 8? I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Yes. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. This Holy Spirit's just been given. He ends up saying to the crowd, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is one of the many promises of God found in the Bible. Do you believe it? Romans 6, 5, Paul says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purposes. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this one? How about Romans 8.37 Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe he's going to keep this one? Yes. How about Romans 8, 38, 39? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? Yes. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this? How about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? How about 1 Corinthians 13, 12? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe that promise? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a promise of God in the Bible. Do you believe this one? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this one? Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God promises. Do you believe it? Yes. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God Do you believe this one? Yes. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind or self-control. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God, God Do you believe that one? Yes. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God Do you believe that one? James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God keeps his promises. Do you believe this one? Yes. James 4, 8, the very next verse, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
This is one of the promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? James 5, 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faithful save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God keeps his promises. Do you believe this one? Yes. James 1, 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe he's going to keep this one? James 1, 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? James 1, 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? First John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? First John 2, 25, And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Is he going to keep this one? First John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is one of the many promises of God. Do you believe it? Yes. 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. This is one of the promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Yes, I do. 2 Peter 3, 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this one? Yes. Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. God Do you believe it? Yes. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Revelation 21, verse 4, the very next verse, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? Revelation 21, 7. 
he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? These are just a small sample of the promises of God in the Bible. There have been many attempts to count the number of promises in the Bible. Some have proposed 3,000, some have proposed 7,000. Herbert Lockyer wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible, and his list is about 8,000 promises of God in the Bible. If that's actually the number, I I haven't counted it myself, but if 8,000 is the number, that would make it approximately an average of seven promises per chapter for every chapter in the whole Bible. That's a lot of promises given to us by God. Now, I will admit to something here. The promises that I've read there are a selective list. It's a small list, and those are only promises that apply to those who are followers of Christ. There are other promises of God in the Bible. <laughs> if you're not a follower of Christ, you have your own list of promises. And it's a, it's a different list. It looks different. I've got a few of those. It's a much shorter list that I've got for those, but it's, I'll just give you some samples. For example, one of the ones that we read before was 1 John five twelve. The first part of the verse says, He who has the Son has life. That's a promise that we look forward to as followers of God. If you're not a follower of God, the second half of that verse applies to you. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe this promise? John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe he's going to keep this promise? Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe he's going to keep this one? Matthew 10.28, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Revelation 21.8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe it? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of the many promises of God in the Bible. Do you believe he's going to keep that one? Yes. So what if you're in the second category? Right? The first list is, sounds great. <laughs> you, want to be in the li- you want to be in the category that the first list applies to. You need to be a follower of Jesus. You need to be submitted to Jesus. The second category, you don't want to be a part of that because your list looks different if you're in that category, right? So what do you do if you're in that category and you want to be in the other category? Well, that passage I just read to you with that whole list of adulterers and fornicators and idolaters and whatnot, the very next verse, verse 11, says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. The people in the first category and the people in the second category, there's no difference in the sense that they all have sin. Romans 3.23 says that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's an opportunity that's presented to all of us to be able to get rid of that sin problem. And it's Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood for us. That provides for us a remedy to the sin problem. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us reason to laugh. Lord, as Sarah ended up laughing in joy, so we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to laugh because of the joy that you've bought for us. God, we pray for those people that don't know you, that aren't submitted to you. Their list is not one that's characterized by joyful things to come. Their list is dreadful things to come. We pray, God, that you would help them. People that come to our mind, people that we know, people that we love, people that we work with that we're related to that don't know you. We pray for them, Lord, to help them by opening their eyes and helping them to see that they need to submit themselves to you. Lord, and when they do so, when they call out to you in humility and contrition and repentance, that you would extend to them forgiveness and cleansing, acceptance and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.